Okay, guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant. Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls Ministry. This is Season 2, Episode 49, In Him, Part 4. Guys, we're almost done with Season 2. We have a few weeks left, and then, you know, as I did between Season 1 and Season 2, there's no breaks. We just continue going into it uh, right the very next week. So that's my plan for season three as well. Uh, we're not going to take a break or anything. We're just going to keep on rocking, keep on rolling. But I want to continue our multi-rant series on what it means to be in him. And I have a lot of scripture I want to read today. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'll just do one verse or one thought and, and kind of just rant about that. And sometimes I like to uh, not overload, but really dig into the scriptures uh, to try to uh, illustrate what I'm trying to say. Um, I think both methods are good. I think both, both methods are valid. Um, when I, I feel like sometimes when I try to bring something uh, that feels a little bit new and a little bit radical, I like to kind of wander around it for a little while and then show a lot of scripture to try to back up what I'm saying and how I'm seeing what I'm saying. So this is kind of one of those where I'm going to read uh, about four pretty decent passages, and then I have one memory verse I want to read. But really, the whole thrust of the rant today is that being in him, you know, hopefully by now we've seen that we are all in him. He drew us all into himself. And then we saw that in order to be in him, even though we're already in him, it's kind of like that conscious decision to include God in every aspect of our life. He doesn't just want to be a part of our life. He wants to be our life because he is life. And today I want to show a very, very practical way to do that, but also dig into an understanding of what exactly it is that we're talking about when we say it. So I'm going to just jump right in to my uh, to my verses here. Most of them actually are by John, who you guys know I love the writing of John, so that shouldn't be a huge surprise to anybody. Uh, I'm going to start in John chapter 10, and I want to read verse, verses 22 through 30. And the heading in the Bible for this one says, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. Starting with verse 22 in John chapter 10, it reads, It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. And there's two things I really want to key in on here as far as being in him. Well, three things, really. The first thing is no one can snatch us away from God. You know, people always talk about uh, how strong the pull of sin is or, you know, how strong the temptations are. But what Jesus plainly says here is nobody can pull you away from God. Nobody can snatch you out of God's hand. He's more powerful than anyone else. 
you know, I've ranted on this before where the Bible talks about how uh, there's no temptation that's not common to man. And if we are tempted, God, we're not tempted by God, but God will give us a way of escape or a way to endure that temptation. He, he you know, it's the idea that uh, you hear a lot of people say, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. And while I think that's true in part, I think the in part is that God never gives you anything that he can't handle. And a lot of times we get into trouble when we try to handle things by ourselves instead of letting God do what he's ready, willing, and able to do in us and for us and through us and as us. I think we get into trouble sometimes when we, when, when, when we try to do these things for ourselves, by ourselves. Like, oh, I've got to be strong if I'm going to be a good Christian. No, not. No. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you can't, that's when he will. I've heard a preacher say it like this. When you work, God will rest. But when you rest, God will work. He doesn't want you to have to try to do things on your own. He wants you to do things in him, which again means, you know, we are in him because he is in us. It's his power working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's his power working in us that will overcome these temptations or overcome this pull or overcome whatever it is that's trying to uh, snatch them, snatch us away from him or, 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 you know, whatever the case may be. So that's important for us to understand and for us to know. But the two things I really want to focus on here are, he says, uh, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my father's name. To me, a big part of what it means to be in him as we are already in him, to make that conscious choice, to, uh, to live in him, to live in the light, to live the life that he literally died for us to have right? Jesus died so that we could die, and then he rose again so that we could have a life, and not just any life, but his abundant, everlasting, eternal resurrection life of love. The way we experience that life is by doing things in his name. And that doesn't mean you do something and then you say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. That means you do things in his nature. That means you do the things that he would do. Jesus said in another place, that when the you know when the Holy Spirit comes, he said, "You will do these works that I have done, and greater works than these." Like he's giving us the ball and empowering us to run with it. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to literally walk on water, or we don't have to literally uh, take a little bit of bread and fish and multiply it uh, supernaturally and, and feed the multitudes. We don't have to literally do the things that the literal Jesus who walked the shores of Galilee did in order to do things in his name. We just do things in his nature. His nature was, you know, feeding the poor, healing the sick, casting out demons. His nature, honestly, was just giving a, a, a better um, human life condition. Remember when he turned water into wine so that the, the, the wedding feast would be better? Everywhere he went, he improved things. He made things better. And that's what we also can do when we do things in his name. And to me, that's a huge part of what it means to be in him. And the proof of, of, of us being in him is the work we do in his name. And then the last thing I want to hit out of this uh, passage before we move on, I'm going to kind of try to move kind of quickly because I do have a lot I want to read. But I want to focus on uh, John chapter 10, verse 30, which says, The Father and I are one. There's no separation between God and man. How could there be when God lives in man? And then when we tilt that back the other way and we begin to consciously live in him, when we begin to experience 
the life in him that he has given to us, then we will understand that there's no separation between God and us. That's what I always say. Our true identity is Jesus. God in the flesh, love in a body. God in our flesh, love in our body. There's no difference and there's no separation. We, we, in the beginning, we were created in the image and likeness of God. And then on the cross, we were conformed to the image of God's only son, Jesus. So that's the, um, I don't want to say that's the trick, but that's the rub. That's, that's where it gets really real is on the cross. We were conformed to the image that we were already made in on the cross. We got to see who God is. You know, Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And that's where our understanding comes from. It's love in a human body. That's God. Jesus said, the father and I are one. You know, he was making the, uh, a very distinct and a very clear um, statement of truth about a lack of separation between God and man. All throughout the Old Testament, they, they viewed God as distant. You know, God was up at the top of the mountain and they had to send Moses up to talk to him because they were afraid to talk to him. There was always separation between God and man. But when Jesus came, God in man, both the son of God and the son of man, that perfect hybrid that perfect place for God to live in, in in his own creation, in man, he took out that separation. And unfortunately, a lot of times we still deal with God as like a separate entity, when really, if he, God is, he's not only within reach, he's within you. All you have to do to find God is look inside, look in your heart, because God is love. And that's where love lives. It lives in the heart. So let's move on, though, because uh, he's talking about the work he does in my father's name is the proof of that that oneship, that oneness, that unity. Uh, being in him and having him be in us more than anything else to me is the proof of it is the work we do in our father's name. Which led me to John chapter 14. But before I read that, I want to read John 13, 34, just so we're absolutely positively clear on what we're talking about. John 13, 34, Jesus talking again, he says, so I am giving you a new commandment, love each other, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. This is the new commandment for the new man. This is uh, when, when, you know, back in John 10, when he said, the work I do in my father's name, that's this. It's the new commandment. It's obeying the new commandment, which is simply to let God love you and to love him back by loving people. That's as simple as I can make it. That's what we've been called to do. That's what we were created to do. That's our purpose in this life is to obey the new commandment for the new man, to love one another just as he has loved us, to receive and release his love. And the best part about that is that it puts all of the emphasis on Jesus, because if we're commanded to love as he loves us. If he wants us to love big, he's got to first love us big. He's got to give us what we need in order to do what not only what he wants us to do, but what he has done for us. That's why we talk about living out of abundance. That's why we talk about being blessed to be a blessing. God doesn't expect you to, you know, cut your arm off to give someone a hand. He expects you to take what he gives you and to share it, to give it away. And in that way, to experience it. That's how we experience the things that we have in a more real way is by sharing them or by giving them away. That's why Jesus talks, talked so much about giving to the poor. 
That's why he had that whole conversation with the rich young ruler when he was like, well, you got to sell everything you own and you got to give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler was sad because not only did he have things, but those things had him. It was a heart condition. If you have things in your life that you're not willing to give away, then that's something that you and God need to deal with in your life. Because the things that he gives us, he gives us in order to, again, just like I said about when he did at the wedding feast, he gives us these things so that we can improve the human condition around us. He blesses us to be a blessing. He gives so that we can have something to give. And there are fringe benefits that we get to enjoy the things that he gives to us. And that's amazing. And that's awesome. But what I'm trying to say is we're going to talk a lot about commandments here in the next couple of uh, passages. So I wanted to make very, very clear what commandment it is that we're talking about. And it's the new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13, 34. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That's it. That's the commandment. That's what we're talking about. That's doing things in in Jesus' name or in God's name. That's the proof in the pudding. If you obey his commandment, it means you know he loves you because you're loving him back by loving people. You can't give what you don't have, and you can only give what you do have. So that's why the Bible says we love because he first loved us. He gives us something, love, to give, and then we give that love back to him by giving it to each other. That's the divine order of things, and that's the new commandment. So in John chapter 14, verse 15, uh, the, the heading of the Bible here is, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. Which again, we just read the commandment that he's talking about, the new commandment. If you love me, love one another as I have loved you. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. This is where a lot of my so-called quote-unquote doctrine comes from. This is why when I read, uh, I believe it's in, I believe it's in First John, when, uh, when it says something along the lines of, Beloved, we now are the sons of God, but we don't yet know what that means. But when he, but when we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And people always talk about that as like a second coming, but I talk about that as, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Jesus reveals himself to us all the time. We're not always looking for him and we don't always see it. Sometimes we miss it. But anytime there's love in your life, that's Jesus revealing himself to you. That's Jesus empowering you to obey his commandment. If you love me, love one another as I have loved you. It's all a big circle. It's And again, he says, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. It's all this unity that comes from understanding the love that binds us together. It's not God over there and Jesus over here. And, and, and you know what? People even talk about Jesus as the mediator between God and man, which I guess maybe on some sense he was that on the cross. 
but he's not that anymore. We don't need that anymore. We don't need a mediator between God and man because God is in man. I'm going to read it again. He says, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. There's no separation there. We don't need a mediator between God and man anymore because God lives in man. And that came from Jesus drawing us into himself and dying on the cross and rising again. Because after he drew us into him and died on the cross, we died. When he died, we died. We were crucified with Christ. And then when he rose again, we were still in him. So we rose again into newness of life. Not just a redo on our old life, but a new life. His life. The life of knowing the Father's love for us, being empowered by the Father's love for us, receiving and releasing the Father's love for us. He takes out any need for a mediator between God and man because he planted God in man. And that's where God lives now. He lives in us. He lives in our hearts. So we don't have to look outside of ourselves. We don't obey. Uh, we don't try to obey his commandments because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't. We obey his commandments because we love him. I think obedience is a trust issue more than anything else. And I see this with my own son a lot of times. Uh, you know, just not too long ago, uh, we were eating something and and I, I don't remember. I think it was, uh, I think we we're having barbecue chicken sandwiches. It doesn't really matter. Uh, at first, Logan didn't want it because he, he it was something kind of new to him and he wasn't sure if he would like it. And I was like, nobody, you've had this before. I know that you like this. Please just try it. And then you will be able to have a good dinner because I know that you like this. And he didn't want to, and he didn't want to, and he finally did. And then uh, I was right. He, 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 he was like, oh yeah, I do remember this. It's really good. And then he ate a bunch of it. And then afterwards he was like, dad, I should just trust you more. And I'm like, yeah, but you really should because I'm always on your side. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to do bad things for you. I wasn't trying to feed you something you wouldn't like or trick you into eating something gross. Like I didn't hide Brussels sprouts in there. I'm not eating green stuff. I don't expect you to either, but you, this is good. You like this, you know, come down the road with me. I'm just trying to take care of you. And that's how God is with us. He's always trying to take care of us. He's always on our side so we can trust him when he gives us a commandment. And when his commandment is take the love that I give you and give it back to me by giving it to the people around you. Like to me, that's, that's simple. That's common sense. And I know common sense isn't very common, especially in the day and age that we live in. But if all God wants to do is love the hell out of you so that you can love him back by loving the hell out of the people around you, to me, that's, that's really easy math. Just receive it and release it. Let him love you and love him back by loving people. And, 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 and get rid of this idea that we do ever, that we could ever do anything without him. Get rid of this idea that there's any separation between God and man. We started this series with the idea that in him, we live and move and have our being. There's nothing outside of God. How could there be? God is omnipotent and omnipresent. He, he knows all he's, he's all powerful. He's everywhere all the time. There is nothing outside of God. David said, even when I make my bed in hell, there you are with me. He said, there's nowhere I can go that you're not with me. And, you know, a preacher said it like this. God is a stalker. He's with you all the time. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So this idea that we do things without God or that, you know, God turns his back on us or, or anything like that. That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. God loved you so much that he gave his life for you. And he didn't just give it for you. He gave it to you. So we really need to get past this idea 
that there's any separation between God and man. We need to get past this idea that there's ever a time God would turn his back on us. You know, even even back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed or disregarded God's warning, God didn't hide from them. They hid from the presence of God. God was still there like he always was. He was there that day just like he had been the day before. The problem was never God leaving us. The problem is always us leaving him. You know, like we just read, nothing can pluck us out of his hand. But sometimes it seems like we we jump out of his hand, you know, in a sense. And even then, I think when we try to jump out of one hand, he probably catches us with the other. And we may not know it, and it may not feel like it, and we may not recognize it. But He's there's never a time when you're without God, ever. He lives in you. How could you be without him? So this idea of uh, of separation between God and man, I just want to get rid of it. We are in him because he is in us. Full stop. Revelation in the Message Bible talks about, it says something along the lines of, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, and he has made his home among men. He moved into you, and he's never moving out of you. He may have to do some spring cleaning once in a while and get rid of stuff in his house, which is you, that doesn't belong there or doesn't fit there, stuff that you've outgrown or stuff that you don't need. But he's never going to give up on you. He's never just going to sell the property and move on to the next one. And, you know, sometimes it feels like he's got to burn the whole thing down and rebuild it from the ground up. That's okay. He's not afraid to do that. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a builder. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. So we can trust him. And if obedience is a trust issue, that means we can obey him. So let's move to Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 34 through 40. And this kind of ties in a little bit, but to a lesser degree. But let me just read it and then I'll try to say what I'm trying to say. The heading here is the most important commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it reads, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. And first of all, they're trying to trap him. All right. All right. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So we're talking about the law of Moses, which, you know, we've been redeemed from. It's, it was, and really it was never given to us in the first place. It was given to the people of Moses, the people of Israel. But a lot of people still want to, you know, they still want to pull out those 10 commandments. They still want to obey the law of Moses, even though the Bible says anytime Moses is preached, a veil is put over the people's face. People still are into it. So let's look at it a little bit. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So again, we see he summed it all up with love. Love God and love people. Love God by loving people. Let God love you and love him back by loving people. That's it. That's the, that, that's the entire law and all the demands of the prophets right there. And all of the 600 and, you know, some odd laws that they made out of those 10 commandments, it all boils down to love. Because if you love people, you don't need a law. You know, when I was a kid, my dad taught me that locks only keep honest people out. Because even if you have your door locked, if somebody's going to try to get in, they're going to get in. So when you love people, it takes out any need for the law. Because if you love somebody, you're not going to harm them. 
If you truly love somebody, the greatest love you, a man can have is to lay his life down for his friends. So if you really love people, you'll hurt yourself before you'll hurt them. You'll esteem others higher than yourself, and you won't need uh, an external law to tell you what to do because the internal life that you live coming out of you would prevent you from doing those things anyway. And that's what grace does. Grace doesn't say, oh, you can sin if you want to. Grace says, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are profitable. I can do anything, yeah, and God's not going to punish me. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have bad consequences. And I want to have good consequences, so I'm going to do good things. I'm going to prove all of this stuff by doing the, um, what does it say? I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. That's where we get when we understand God's love for us. We prove his love to ourselves and to others by the things we do in his name. So let me quickly read my last passage here and then we'll close. And it's 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 11. I'm going to read down through verse 24. And the heading here is simply, love one another. So 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 11, reads, This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. That's such an important verse to me because it literally shows us that the difference between death and life is love. No love, no life. But if you know love, you can know life. To live is to love and to love is to live. There's no difference. There's no separation. You can't have one without the other, and you can't do one without the other. Right? I always talk about how love is giving, and you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Well, to live is to love, and to love is to live. You can't do one of those without the other. So he says, so it goes on in verse 15. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Again, live out of your abundance. If you have enough money to live well, share it. He, you know, I, I believe it was John the Baptist. They asked him, what should we do? And he said, if you have two coats, give one to somebody who doesn't have one. You don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to freeze to death so that somebody else can be warm. You can give out of your abundance. You can live out of your abundance, right? Like I said, you don't have to chop your arm off to give someone a hand. You don't have to hurt yourself in that, in, in that sense to help others. And, and, you know, there is, uh, uh, there is something to be said about, you know, ministering out of your hurt and ministering out of, well, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And sometimes you're going through things too. And that can make it, you know, in, in some ways that can make it harder to minister. If somebody else is going through what you're going through and you're trying to help them and nobody's helping you, that can seem like a lot. But by helping them, you're going to get yourself through it too. Because this world is all about those relationships and connections that we have one with the other. 
It's about showing compassion. It's about living out of our abundance. It's about giving what we've been given. So it goes on in verse 18 and says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Again, the proof is in the works that we do in God's name. It says our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will, we will receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. This is the this is the idea that I'm trying to put forth. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him. We be in him as we are already in him. We experience the life that he is living in us and through us and as us when we obey him, when we love each other with the love that he loves us with, when we receive and release his love. That's the conscious decision. It's not just saying, I'm not, uh, I'm going to try not to sin today. Guys, sin is not bad behavior. Sin is unbelief. Sin is believing anything other than the ultimate truth of the universe, that God is love and he loves you. So it's not about saying, oh, I'm not going to do anything bad today. It's about saying, I know God loves me and I'm going to love him back by loving people. That's his commandment. That's the trust that we have, the faith that we have in him. That's where our power to obey that commandment comes from. It all flows from the Father of lights. It all flows from him into us, the light of the world, so that we can shine into any darkness that we find ourselves in. So that's our time for today. That's going to pretty much wrap us up. I just really want us to understand that in order to be in him as we are already in him, we simply receive and release his love. We let his life be our life. We let him live his life in us and through us and as us. And in that way, we experience that life that he has given us. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do next week. I might do a part five and I might not, but I guess you'll have to tune in and see. Thanks, guys. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can uh, get the my books that are written on there they're also on amazon i have an author's page on amazon um i've written a lot of books i'm pretty proud of them you can order them i try to keep them cheap because i don't like to pay a lot of money for books and i don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine so check that out um if you want to support the podcast itself you can find it on anchor.fm if you just search for jesus rant um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it, and you can su- you can support it. Excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it, and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it to uh, to help me to get the word out. Which you know, as we know by now, is is my heart is just getting this word out. Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, So just thank you for your support. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.